the good, the bad, and the Boucherian. The good, the bad, and the Boucherian. And folks, you're listening to the good, the bad, and the Boucherian. It's a very common practice, especially in tech, to lean on the on, on ADHD medication for performance. So me, I had already existed in a bubble where I thought you, you just have to be super smart. <laughs> and then, yeah. Come, yeah, coming into the job field and realizing, oh, okay, Adderall is real. And the people who mm. need Adderall are using Adderall to concentrate and to sleep less and to be able to achieve more. That taught me that I cannot hold the standard of my performance and the standard of who I am as a person um, in the light of someone else's performance. Like they, they can never compare because people are doing crazy things to be at the level where you think they are. And um, yeah, performance enhancement for tech people is like a real thing. So it really pushed me to building my own path. Like, you know, create your own path. People are doing crazy things. And so... um wow. Yeah, while planning for that trip, I found opportunities to do like boot camps, do some interviews for some for for some some of these big tech names like Uber and you know, like go and see, okay, can I like actually just make it with my knowledge of code? And these guys are willing to fly me out just based off of these contributions. I'm gonna do it. And so I went and wrote for boot camps online. And when they paid for my flight and three days accommodation for the conference, I was supposed to come back after three days. But I told my dad, hey. I'm actually gonna stay for like six months, guys. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna come back for six months. And my dad told me, put your itinerary on a spreadsheet and share it. And so he forced me to do day by day. Like, how the heck am I going to be spending my time day by day? So I had a whole itinerary. I think I, I still have a copy of it on my, on my Google Drive. And so that's how I ended up missing my final exam not graduating completely, spending six months in San Francisco and coming back and getting a job immediately. So I've never actually graduated from Strathmore with my computer science degree, imagine. And surprisingly, yeah, Uh and with all my employers, I've been very transparent with them and just, it's even on on my resume where my resume is where I have put in the time I was in Strathmore. I always say that it's an incomplete degree. And surprisingly, all the employers who've hired me, including Microsoft, were cool with it. So I've never gone back. I might, I want to, just to... It's your boy, Billy, and we're back at it with another episode. Hope you guys are keeping well, keeping safe, and things are going well on your side as they are on mine. Wow, who would have thought that we are finally at our 140th episode? So exciting, you know. And of course, a big shout out to you guys and a big thank you to you guys for all the support this far. We have 10 more episodes to the close of the season. So of course, as you know, this is the time where we release banger after banger episodes. So here we are again. And my guest in studio today is Renao Cheng, who is the lead technical product manager at Food for Education you know, people who are actually doing big things. And she'll be telling us a lot about what she's done, what she does. You know, one I probably think she should also be a career coach because if you guys see her Instagram, the gems she drops, God, 
damn and so definitely again this will be one of those episodes that i really enjoyed and so definitely there'll be a part two of this episode just after this but yeah and also guys don't forget we're having our scavenger hunt on the 10th of december due to a lot of public demand some of the summer bunny said billy please push it a bit further so we can be there for at least one of the events of the year so that is exactly what we're gonna have it on on the 10th of december in karen check out our socials for all details but yeah Raina, how are you how was your day i'm good my day was good as well not as productive as i wanted to be it to mm-hmm. be but at least mm-hmm. got some things done I'm organizing mm-hmm. an event for you guys, Scavenger Hunt. Oh, so cool. just block your calendar now. I'm now, looking. now, now. Is it a full yes. day thing? I'm still trying to figure out if I need to be full day or just half day where you guys just do the scavenger hunt. We mm-hmm. do, they'll be eating and then mm-hmm. uh, probably announce awards and then you guys can live at their pleasure. So I'm thinking, do I really want to do a whole day? You could probably yeah. advise on that. Yeah, I mean, um, partial day would be great because I think managing whole day also on your side will be a little bit tricky, but it's a Sunday, so yes. you're kind of flexible. But I would say like um, Sunday mornings or like like mid-mornings from like 11 to like 2-ish sounds like a vibe. Mm. Yeah. Really? Yeah, yeah. 11 so to 2 on Sunday. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So mm. in, if that's the case, do you even have to do a whole lunch or anything? Or guys can just do the scavenger hunt. Um, then, the, you know, we announce awards and guys leave. Yeah, I mean, it can be also, it will also depend on the location. Because I'd say you can, if you time it right, and the location is convenient for people to like have lunch, then they can foot for their own things. And it can be like a post scavenger hunt kind of chill vibe. Because, you know, you can mm-hmm. have like... You can have like an early latish lunch on a Sunday. It would be a vibe. You can even make it brunchy. Yes. Yeah. Uh, in fact, we're circling back to this after the recording. Yeah, or, for sure. I have to schedule a meeting with you. We're circling back yeah. to that. But you, how was your day? My day was busy, but really good. Like, I think I was able to do like maybe 80% of the things I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And I'm happy with that. <laughs> Why did you cancel swimming? <laughs> I, I'm, I'm getting like a little bit of a sore throat. So mm. every time I come from swimming, I, I'm always like blocked up. So I was like, I'm already getting a sore throat. Circumstances to be recording an audio thing. So I was like, okay, <laughs> yes, <laughs> I yeah, might just do like a swim tomorrow and Friday because I like doing Wednesday and Friday. So I'm free most of tomorrow afternoon. So I can do tomorrow and Friday instead. Hey, free. Raina being free, let me even just clap because that is a very rare phenomenon these days. I mean, wow. but this means I'm free for swimming. I'm not free generally. <laughs> oh, it's just for swimming. you need to put that clarification. <laughs> because, hey, it's communicated and then people start reaching out and I'm like, hey, bro, I know how to tell you no without telling you more. No. In fact, Mm-hmm. Give me context to understand, Raina. How would I? What is the earliest context that I need to know to understand who Raina is currently? Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh! Like the earliest reference point, I have no idea. I feel like all the collective experiences of my life have led up to who I am now. So I, I, I would even say like, 
you know, it would go like pre me, like just understanding like my background and the family of my background and who Lazoar, all of these things kind of contribute <laughs> to who I am right now. So that mm-hmm. would be like going way, way back, like pre-colonial back. <laughs> then let's go pre-colonial back. I need to understand who Rena is for who, you know, outside yeah, me that... knowing her as the best techie, outside in me knowing her as a gym rat, who really <laughs> is Rena? So take me back. Well, well, I mean, that's like a really interesting story. I think um, a lot of the narratives I have around um, my family history are very defined by my parents. So like, I do know most of how my parents like grew up and my parents um, um, were, you know, they lost their parents really young. So they also kind of got the freedom to form their personalities and who they are as people without kind of being shackled to the expectations of their parents to some extent. So mm-hmm. I think that kind of influenced how free thinking my parents are in many ways. Um, and um, so my parents had me when they were like super young. So my mom, I think, was like still a teenager and my dad was in his early 20s. And so growing up, I already kind of had that vibe of, okay, these guys are definitely winging it with my upbringing. Like they don't have experience. <laughs> like, these guys, uh-huh. these guys are learning on the job. <laughs> so literally, yeah, a hundred percent learning on the job. And I kind of just always got that radical kind of honesty from them around, like, hey, all right, we, we're sometimes gonna look like we know what we're doing, but then there's gonna be some times where you know we really don't actually know everything. And so I'm glad I have that relationship with them where they can actually just say, Hey, okay, that situation, we'd never been in that situation, we messed up. And I think that part of their personalities and who they are as people has kind of informed that aspect, which you know, people tend to think is like radical honesty, but I'm just more of like, I don't have that shame of saying that I don't know something, you know, and that just comes yes. from, from my parents in, to, to, to like a great extent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, but with, with that as well, even before you go on, talk to me about not having that shame, because I think a lot of us even experience that shame from school, where yeah. a lot of us are made to be, to dumb ourselves down or if mm-hmm. you don't know, guys make you feel like, hey, when you ready, you know. So mm-hmm. for you, how were you able to navigate that since, you know, bring at home is different, but school is different. So how are you able to, you know, still speak your truth and always, you know, not be ashamed to? Yeah, I mean, yeah. um, so so like my upbringing was also really interesting because my dad is very academically inclined. Like he was the people who thought like the best way to succeed is like do uni, go do your master's, you know, just academic excellence as the main tool for like success in the world. So like mm-hmm. from like, the age of like six, I was definitely, there was definitely this rule in our house for, you know, a book a week. So it started with a book a month and then started, it, it became a book a week the closer I got to like class eight. And this was like, my dad would actually read books or like read prologues of books and then get me the book. And then every Sunday I'd have to tell the family like, okay, what was the book about? And I, so I'm a very avid reader till today. Like I do at least two books. Wow. Yeah. Are you serious? (laughs) Yeah, I do. Yeah. 
it's it's a factor it's a combined factor one i'm at i'm a very fast reader because i've been reading for so long and two i am i have adhd so i'm actually very able to fixate on something and very much concentrate so that means i can really read in any environment like i can read in a bus i can read on a hallway like i can even read in very noisy environments because i'm able to like fixate so I've, i have that culture mm-hmm. And like, I was very inclined with fiction and uh, surprisingly, you know, a lot of people, when writers write, they tend to try and make the hero relatable, right? By like, you know, introducing the vulnerabilities, you know, what are their weak spots? But I've always been drawn to the protagonist, right? Like to the, to the, no, actually to the antagonist. I like the villains. I feel, I've always felt like the villains are like for real. So the people who I would expect... (laughs) are like my role models in my books would be like Voldemort and you know like any protagonist would be a little bit boring because I'm like oh okay it's appealing that you want to be the hero everyone wants to be the hero but comfortable being the bad guy right so I've always Mm. kind of liked that aspect of villains in fiction and so even getting into movies I've always been like you know what Bane is way more interesting than Batman to be honest like (laughs) so Mm. yeah (laughs) I'm like, I'm team Bane any day. Yeah, I'm team Bane any day. I'm team Joker any day. I'm like, you know, it is what it is. So I've kind of always liked that aspect of the antagonists and the villains. And that's always kind of been the type of character I've wanted to embody in the story. You know, like not the socially acceptable one, not the politically correct one. And growing up, especially like in primary school, I realized that even if I was like super politically correct, dimmed myself down. Like I still had so many situations where that did not serve me. So I tried it. I tried being the goody two shoes. I tried following all the rules. I did it consistently for like years. And then I realized that even when I'm on that side, I still tend to kind of get into trouble or it doesn't really pay off. So I'm struggling so hard to be on the straight and narrow. Mm-hmm. And I'm still getting into trouble and I'm still being misunderstood. So I think I decided around class six, you know what? I'm just going to exist authentically right now. Like if I'm going to get in trouble anyway, like let me not put in the additional effort of trying to not get into trouble so bad. Let me go with the path that's most interesting. And let me go with the path that's most fun. And it seemed to be that, yes. but it's kind of paid off because I mean, it's prepared me for life on such a deep level. Like, I'm glad I started doing that so early in my in my in my life because right now I am like so unapologetic about being you know the asshole and being like mm-hmm. very much all right this might seem reckless but I'm going to go with the path of most interest and most fun and the the, the path that just seems like more organic for me and like f everything yeah. else you know yes that thing came from yeah Mm-hmm. Interesting. I have so many questions to ask you on that, but take us back <laughs> still on the journey before we come back to all my, you know, yeah. stories from here to Timbuktu. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, so like, of course, our my, my childhood was um, pretty strict. I was the only child for almost, I think, almost 15 years, actually. Um, I think, yeah, 13 years. So I was the only child for 13 years. And then my brother got born when I was in class eight. So the whole 13 years, it was like, I am, the the expectations are extremely high, right? And um, mm-hmm. 
that was like, you know, pretty much the time where I guess a lot of my disciplinary practices came in. Some of them have been able to shake over time and reevaluate, but there are like just certain habits around like, you know, cleanliness, tidiness. Like my dad always used to say, um, like your space is a reflection of your mind. So that kind of gives me like a lot of like OCD also in terms of like being organized and making sure that my spaces are clean because I always think of, oh, okay, my space is getting messy. Is this a reflection of how I am mentally? So there's a lot of those like restrictions you get conditioned to when you're younger. And um, so it was a very like super, super disciplined background. And I was kind of my mother and father's daughter and son at the same time. I think people who are probably like <laughs> children relate with that because it's like, you're still gonna be expected to be extremely good at like sports. Your dad is gonna teach you all of the things that he would have probably taught her boy mom is definitely still gonna be like this is my daughter and you're gonna be having this pressure to be girly so I think growing up I was a little bit of a tomboy but then in certain scenarios I was like a little bit of a girly girl and that's kind of also that that, that blood the lines in terms of like expectations for how I should be based off of my gender and I'm kind of always grateful for that because I don't really look at tasks and activities as, you know, like this is a girl's task and a boy's task. I've never really had that mentality. Mm. Yeah, because our mm-hmm. household was like, whoever can do it, does it, you know, like, yeah. And I'm, I'm, I'm here changing my bike tires with my dad and going and, you know, going with him to the mechanic and learning about like cars and diesel engines. But then I'm also here cooking chapels with my mom and she's teaching me like home training. So I had that dual experience of the expectations and the things I would be doing as a boy, but also being a girl. So that, that, that's for yeah. me of like how I am and also even like how I dress I think like my dad would go and like shop and like buy me dresses and then my mom would actually go and shop and buy me like sneakers and so I was always like oh, okay dresses and sneakers <laughs> and sneakers really and sneakers <laughs> that's why so I have in so short, you are ahead of the curve <laughs> before so it became a thing I was super ahead of the curve and I'm always telling my mom like you created this because get, getting into my professional career she was always like you know maybe you should start dressing like more professional you know like do like a skirt suit and I was like if I can do a skirt suit and sneakers I'm game and she was always like no employers, yeah employers are not gonna allow sneakers those are not professional shoes but surprisingly every single job I've done I've been with employers that are super okay with me dressing casually. So imagine my entire work life. I've been wearing jeans, sneakers, t-shirts. Like that's just been my whole professional career. So I know I believe in the universe and full circle. So I kind of like, I'm like, okay, maybe the universe knew I wasn't going to like, you know, be the, the bank type suit girl and kind of just was like, okay, you continue how you've been living in your childhood. <laughs> yeah 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 Uh yeah so like that's kind of like how I grew up and then when my siblings got born of course you're like way older so you kind of take on this third parent role and I know a lot of people will relate to that like firstborn girl being like the third parent is just something that's definitely gonna happen so I do feel like my sense of like responsibility and my sense of understanding that the world is bigger than me came from being in that place with my family and you know being the only child and then being the oldest child and taking on these additional responsibilities as the oldest
think those things kind of just got grouped together. And, um, you know, I think it's contributed to how put together I might appear sometimes, but it's just kind of the role I've consistently assumed in my family life. And it's just in some, in some way also. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. So I, yeah. I hope you've gone for therapy. I hear all of you guys complaining. Know, yeah, I actually, yeah, and I, I don't want to like sugarcoat that my, you know, like my childhood was like super formative and everything. Of course, there was those things you have to unlearn, especially around like religious conditioning. I think I was the type of child who consistently asked questions about inconsistencies that I saw like in the Bible or in the preachings we were hearing at church. And so my grandma mm was a Jehovah's Witness so I used to go a lot to the kingdom halls and listen in and I was always like once the section where we could ask questions and um and uh, you know in the Jehovah's Witness context they do have forums like it's okay to have discussions the way they study the bible is like um it's a study and we will compare and we'll learn together so um going into now like a, a different kind of church which um growing up we were anglicans and then we went into like um pentecostal so um going into pentecostal and kind of seeing the role of like a preacher in the the process for me i was constantly looking for avenues to ask questions right so i always used to pick yeah. up inconsistencies i want to know so god is you know kind and wonderful and great and patient but then he also had the capacity to like drown the entire world with a flood you know i always wanted to know answers yeah. about things. i was like okay this is a little bit inconsistent yeah like he's ever patient ever loving but he's also jealous and angry right so like can we form like a cohesive narrative around the qualities of god right because when it's convenient mm-hmm describe him in one way then when it's convenient to describe him in another way so I've always had that kind of relationship with religion and so some of the things I had to work out like when I finished uni and I um, moved out on my own um, it was a good time for me to think about how I want to live my life outside religious and family conditioning right like so I've been indoctrinated with all of these things that are seemingly positive qualities that I'm supposed to embody as an adult to be successful in this world and i really need to sit down and think of you know is does that feel true to me does that feel right to me can i question these things can i pick and choose the path i want to walk on my own and part of the reason i had to do that was so that i don't hold any resentment against my my parents or my family i had to really say all right if i'm choosing to walk the rest of my life being you know, religious and, uh, you know, practicing certain things. Um, later down the line, if I do not question it at this point, when I look back, will I think, why did these guys raise me like this? Why did they introduce me to this thing, right? So I have to make a conscious adult decision to be like, eh, okay, this makes sense to me and I'm okay living the rest of my life with this ideology and I'll be okay if I want to shed this ideology in the future. So, um that kind of opened the room to like going also into therapy because um you know living in a strict kind of like environment really gave me a lot of like anxiety but you know when you're growing up anxiety is not called anxiety it's just like why are you worried you don't have responsibility would you be stressed do you even know stress you know like so for me yeah like having frequent panic attacks like developing like a you know a 
chilled from a very young age from like high school hyper acidity like and it was mostly because of like anxiety but not really having a brand name for whatever is going on with me it also was part of the reason why I went into the ther therapy path because I, I got exposed especially when I started like working and especially when I went into uni I got exposed to like a lot of people and they were like yo um, Kumbe, not everyone wakes up feeling like their stomach is chomaying them. Kumbe, not everyone dreads wake up. <laughs> I thought this was a human condition. You guys just get into bed and sleep immediately. You don't have like two hours where you think about like potential death or whatever. Like, and guys are like, no, mm -hmm. no one does that. That's just you there. I was like, oh shit, Kumbe, Kumbe, there's a problem. <laughs> <laughs> I thought everybody was going through the thing, right? So, uh, yeah. So, I mean, that's kind of like where I started exploring. Hey, okay. Um, tools. First of all, it started with researching tools to manage that feeling of like inevitable dread. For me, anxiety manifests as, um, you know, irrational fears, um, also like cognitive distortions, like always thinking the worst case scenario of something. So, and then also my, my anxiety is very physical. So I, I, I do get like, you know, the, the, the excessive like palpitations in the heart, the nausea, the proper panic attack symptoms. So um, I, I really wanted to find tools to manage the symptoms. And one of the tools that came up was like cognitive behavioral completely helped me so um i'm glad i spent a huge chunk of my early 20s actively working on my mental health and understanding it and um just realize that like you know you never graduate from therapy like you will have moments where you have sufficient tools to navigate um your mental health issues but then you will sometimes need to go and you know try different other types of therapies and you know catch up again with a therapist to refresh your toolkit and that's what therapy has been for me it's not really a practice it's just a reference point like um let me learn from professionals how to manage you know typical life things that happen so i feel like um we we don't get taught how to deal with grief we don't get taught how to deal with heartbreak we don't get taught how to deal with day-to-day -day stress and so therapy for me has been a place where i can get perspective and get like a huge tool set and try different things and figure out what actually like works for me and so I'm glad I was able to do that between like the age of 21 and like 26 I was very very like super weekly years and um yeah I think it's definitely been very formative for me lovely I want to have so many questions about even you deciding to be very intentional yeah, about your yeah. mental health because even from your page, your page is mm -hmm. such a good, safe space. I'm sure you're only seeing me liking your stories, just wondering, funny this boy. Yeah. But, <laughs> you know, your page is one of those pages that, you know, it's a breath of fresh air from all the junk and all the things we see on social media. You're just like, bro. Oh, no. So, you know, so <laughs> I have so many questions on that. But before getting there, I have two questions. First of all is, did you ever suffer under the struggles of academic validation and pressure especially mm. one being an only child but as well you know um being the beacon for your parents and now definitely later for uh your younger siblings so was there a point you had to overcompensate for that but two as well talk to mm. me about if that is the case again talk to me about um adhd 
and mm. uh, how that manifested for you because i remember a lot of kids i've had a podcast where the guest talked about his experience with the ADHD and at the time he did have a name to it right mm. so of course during the time he teachers are sending him out of class you're too fidgety you're too you know because yeah. people with ADHD surprisingly are very smart you guys are very smart but then yes. in the formal classroom setting somehow things just don't mm. work out for you guys like you don't want yeah. to be in a class for two hours listening to the lecturer and you know and so always friction with teachers so how was that for you and then couple that with how again now anxiety is mm. not coming to play if the teachers are not comparing with you now how it's feeding into your anxiety so talk to me about that whole spectrum yeah yeah i love having having that conversation all the time because it also teaches me a lot about how hard I am on myself because of ADHD. But the first one around the academic pressure, yeah, for sure. I mean, I um, was pretty much like an average to A student. So I used to like overperform in certain subjects and then just be average in certain subjects. So um, the thing for me that was the highest pressure was just thinking that there are like two exams that will determine the course of my life, right? Like, so if I pass, if I mm. fail KCP, I'll go to a shit uni, to a shit high school. And then if I go to a shit high school, I'll get bad marks in KCSE. Then I'll never go to a good uni and then my life will be messed up. So that was the narrative that was constantly fed to me. And for me, um, you know, being in class eight, I guess at around 11, 12, um, it has a lot of pressure. Like as in every action I'm doing right now is going to determine the course of my future. And then that coupled up with this idea of like, you know, moral correctness and like every single lie I tell is going to be logged in a book. Like that used to frustrate me. Like I used to be super, mm. super hard on myself with like making mistakes. And that actually really contributed to me not even doing well in KCP. Like like doing my, you know, my indexing exams, having like around 380 to 400, you know, thinking that those are the marks I was going to get and then doing the test. And then finding out I'm, I'm like at 350 and everyone was expecting a 400. It was wild, right? So I was like, yes. okay. Yeah, like that was a lot of pressure for me. And then going into high school, I had such a great high school experience because um, my dad was actually able to guide me in a way to hack high school. And, I, and you know, I want to make sure that this one is recorded because a lot of people and their siblings are never told this. So high school, for me, my dad gamified high school. My dad was like, Form one and that part of form two is really realizing what of the, what, what aspects of you are organic and how those can help you with your academics, right? So if you're organically mm -hmm. if you're organically good at like sports, sports can be the thing that gets you into a great uni, and you need to go hard on that. If if you have to put in like extra extra energy on um, physics and bio, then you need to be extremely excellent in other subjects. So balance it out. So as tempting as it is to pick your subjects based off of which career you want to go to, it's also very important to pick your subjects based off of like how much heavy lifting you had to do. Because I was consistently like tempted to be like I'll do triple sciences but my dad was like hey okay triple sciences those are two subjects in there that are gonna need to you to be like putting a lot of energy into even getting like a 60 percent for me those are physics and chem 
So my dad was like, you know what, you're getting easy A's in, what you never even need to study for, business studies, and you're naturally good at art. So make sure those subjects are in there. If you get at least 80% in both, then you only need to get like 65% in your compulsory subjects and you have like a B plus. So that we always used to have those conversations on, okay, one of your easy subjects are failing. You need to boost that up and then make sure you just get like a 57% in these three subjects that are hard that you have to do. And that for me was chem and swa. And that made it easy. So like uh, math, bio, made sure to get like 80s in those. And then that means that even if I got like a 47% in swa, I'm still minimum getting like a B, right? So I'm glad uh -huh. my dad that because that trick also freed up a lot of time for me to do other things in school so contributing to like you know like just extracurricular activities I started like a whole um weekly newspaper at Loreto Convent Valley Road and it was called Sisemi Kito <laughs> and it used to be hey, like uh -huh. yeah, it used to be like a compilation of news from all the classes right so people would like give me information like who fell in class was busted for sleeping and then we'd include even like announcement from teachers reports about like sports day and like imagine the whole fraternity plus the students were super invested in this thing and um people like the school wanted to even publish them and give everyone but the cost was high so they made us read the paper and everybody used to like wait for the announcements to be done for Sisemikitu to be read in parade. And so I was hey. able to imagine, and we would read all of the stories, all of the pages. And when we would stick the copies on the notice boards, we'd find like people even stole them. Like people wanted the freaking copy. So that for me was only <laughs> possible because I was actually mm -hmm. had a good way to work. Like I wasn't overly extending myself because I could rely on my natural capabilities to succeed in certain things and then put in the effort only in those ones that don't come naturally to me. And I'm constantly telling my dad thanks for that because um, it's still the way I navigate my career right now. Like when I walk into a new role, I identify the things that are just going to be easy, that I can rely on my personality to do. And that for me is like people engagement, documentation, those types of things are so easy for me. And then the effort I have to put in is now like forming interpersonal relationships with people without getting overly invested. Like those things are hard for me to do. So I save my energy for those things. And then I, I rely on my personality and my inborn talents for the things that I know I'm good at and I don't need to try at. So um, I went into computer science. It was crazy, but I went into computer science because my dad also has a background in computing and banking. And so when I went into computer science, um, I started like doing the coding very early. Like by second year, I'd already gotten like an internship opportunity. I was doing some free, free freelance backend development. So it was kind of cool starting to make like, you know, in uni, like making like 40 Gs was like a huge deal, right? Like I was like, wow. Oh, making 40 Gs <laughs> actually from doing code. So I started coding even during class because I was like, wow. Um, 18 hours of this code equals this amount of money. So I was already in the mindset of how do I monetize my skills. But unfortunately for, for taking that approach with your uni life is that um, the academic 
stuff starts to become very irrelevant to you, right? Like you're wondering yeah. why you guys have to do like three units over the course of three semesters around algorithms. And you're really already good at algorithms from watching some Indian tutorial on YouTube. So all of those things, that feeling like I, this feels like a waste of time, you know? Mm -hmm. and, uh, yeah so the pressure there was like my dad is still having expectations of me getting um uh, first class honors um and also already pushing me to start thinking about what post-grad I'm gonna do in terms of a master's and I'm leaning more towards hey I'm already kind of making money right now no one's asking me for my for my credentials they're just looking at the work I'm doing and they're giving me money so why do I need to do this so surprisingly I was able to get to fourth year and then fourth year my last semester <laughs> I got an opportunity like so I used to be very big with this um, developer community called Google developer groups um, the devs know it as GDG and so I used to lead the one in Strathmore and I did such a good job at it that these guys offered to fly me out to San Francisco for their conference and so wow. um yeah, while planning for that trip, I found opportunities to do like boot camps, do some interviews for some for for some some of these big tech names like Uber and you know, like go and see, okay, can I like actually just make it with my knowledge of code? And these guys are willing to fly me out just based off of these contributions. I'm gonna do it. And so I went and rolled for boot camps online. And when they paid for my flight and three days accommodation for the conference, I was supposed to come back after three days. But I told my dad, hey. I'm actually gonna stay for like six months, guys. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna come back for six months. And my dad told me, put your itinerary on a spreadsheet and share it. And so he forced me to do day by day. Like, how the heck am I going to be spending my time day by day? So I had a whole itinerary. I think I, I still have a copy of it on my, on my Google Drive. And so that's how I ended up missing my final exam not graduating completely, spending six months in San Francisco and coming back and getting a job immediately. So I've never actually graduated from Strathmore with my computer science degree, imagine. And surprisingly, if, if, yeah, uh -huh. and with all my employers, I've been very transparent with them. And just, it's even on my, on my resume where my resumes where I have put in the time I was in Strathmore, I always say that it's an incomplete degree. And surprisingly, all the employers who've hired me, including Microsoft, were cool with it. So I've never gone back. I might, I want to, just to, you know, appease my dad. But honestly, um, I've had a pretty successful career without a degree. And so um, I kind of like don't even believe in that level of like finance or of like academic. But the catch is you have to just be extremely good at what you do without the papers. Like you, you can't be 70% good. You have to be like 115% good so that the mm -hmm. become irrelevant. Yeah. Yeah. So that's like the academic wow. pressure. So I'm uh -huh. like, I'm always telling my siblings, you are lucky because you have a sibling who didn't even finish school and is surviving. So y'all right. will, <laughs> will be so blessed if you finish school. Like y'all will be so good. All you have to do is like finish school because I had to set the path of, you know, um, hey, it's possible to have a successful career. It's possible to do really, really well if you are, you know, extremely good at your job. And so I think even for like my younger um 
cousins and everyone like i think um it's a good rubric for them to use for like if you have like passions with arts and whatever and you want to explore that like there's at least a successful rubric to to follow on that side yes yeah because someone told me um only the monkeys at the bottom of the forest complain there are too many monkeys yes, in the forest exactly, exactly. right Love that. So you yeah. see, for you, as you said, you as you said rightly put, I think, yeah. and I love that you said it. That if you're dropping out, just be the best at what you're doing. Yeah, Otherwise, yeah, yeah. if you're seventy percent, I mean, no, 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 you're not uh-huh. gonna make it. And you have to overcompensate. Like you have to be like, hey, look at all of these skills I was expected to get from my degree. I have found very creative and practical ways to gain those same skills outside the classroom. So it's even how yeah. you present your experience and how you culture experiences for yourself like valid experiences for yourself to be able to prove that I have a practical achievable way where I have I have gathered this skill what I think people who are strict with the degree like is that you have been consistently learning and you've been committed for four years in something and we're 100% sure that even if you aren't listening in class, you are passively gathering certain qualities and skills, right? So that's where you have to be like, okay, I did not do the degree, but I participated in a six-month um, coding bootcamp. This is the project I had. This is the outcome. This is how many people used it. This are some of the reviews I got. Like you have to compensate on that side so yeah 100% valid like um, it's not that it's like yeah I at least I saved my time doing the degree you have to spend a lot more time um, showing that you have those skills without the degree mm, mm. Yeah. yeah wow uh-huh and mm. now the DSB part how does that come yeah, clear so with all the I mean, surprisingly, mm-hmm. like now after so many years of actually having the diagnosis, is I've realized that the diagnosis for girls with ADHD is so much trickier to have than. You see, some of the symptoms that you mentioned are classic ADHD, like the inattentiveness, the fidgetiness, the lack of like, you know, um, be, being able to stay still, all of that. Those are like classically symptoms how ADHD is identified for boys, imagine. So that's why mm-hmm. for me, it wasn't very obvious that I had ADHD specifically because I was excelling academically to some extent. Like I'm not saying I was the eighth student, but I wasn't like in the bottom. So I I didn't like, it, it was very like, well, I was even self-assessing. I was like, I, can't, I, I wouldn't probably have ADHD. I can really still stay still. And for girls, it actually tends to be some or how of an opposite, like hyper-focusing. Like, for example, one thing that was like a clear tell sign when I got my diagnosis from a psychiatrist was I am not able sometimes to move on from tasks when they are not fully finished, right? Like, mm-hmm. I can be hyper-fixated on one question, one formula. Like, there's 50 of them. I know 49 of them, but I'm not going to move to question three if I've not fully answered question two. Mm-hmm. That was also... Yeah, uh-huh. and that was also my first thing in my relationships. Like, we're having an argument, um, and you want us to move on, and we've not <laughs> talked about it. I'm unable. I'm unable. I can't. Like, we need to resolve it now. So if you tell me you need time to think about it, hey, me and I'm okay. Yes, <laughs> we're not talking until you're ready to talk about this particular thing. <laughs> and how are your yeah. partners taking it <laughs> it was always like see like now i'm feeling pressure and now the energy i'm receiving from you 
um, because I've decided that I can't discuss it at this point is pretty hostile. And I'm like, because I am on edge, like I'm clenching my bum, waiting for you to talk and so I'm also suffering and so the byproduct of that for me is also the anxiety so imagine all of those scenarios kind of like now you can already see the correlation between the anxiety and the ADHD right because when you hyper focus also you are bound to procrastinate because you're going to want to finish one thing you can't you know, drop this and pick something else. And it's still something I struggle nowadays. For example, if I need to go out of the house for a meeting, it'll be very difficult for me to say, oh, okay, I'll do these dishes when I come back. Like, no, I kind of have to leave my house in 100% perfection for me to feel ready to leave. And so that's something that I I, I now realize is like a product of the ADHD. And so um, because I'm doing all of these chores in the house and I'm running late because I don't want to leave them before I finish, then I'm getting anxiety because I'm running late. And so it was a lot of those smaller scenarios, but it also manifests really largely on the ability to emotionally detach. So for me, um, I can be in like a proper life or death situation and think extremely rationally and not emotionally at all. Like I can properly make very objective decisions right and sometimes it's a great thing when you dangerous situations it's an amazing thing but when you are like you know expected to be in situations where you exercise vulnerability where you're supposed to be you know like empathetic it becomes difficult because you actually need to put effort to say oh okay I need to deactivate all of these alarms so that I can reach out to this person on a heart-to-heart level was surprising to hear is also a symptom that manifests for ADHD with girls and women. And that's something that I always thought was a great thing while growing up. I was like, hey, me, mm-hmm. atta ki, atta happen, like I'm not the one to react. Like I'm not. <laughs> and for it's a positive thing, only to find out a dangerous level of compartmentalization. And that is also a way that that manifests, right? So what would happen is, let's say, um, for example, my dad um, had uh, a mild stroke um, around 2000 and I think 18 or 19, yeah, 2019. And I I was the person who would go and handle the situation, right? So I knew, you know, I got a call and I was told like, hey, okay, your dad is like passed out in a car. Initial fear, the, the initial reaction was not, oh my God, my dad, whatever. Like, I did not even react. I was just like, oh, okay, I need to be done. I need to contact a hospital, find out whether this is something that I need to call an ambulance for. And I did all of those things as I was driving to his location. And um, the problem, that's a situation where you should be confronting the reality that you could lose your parent, but you're handling it so logically. And the problem with that is if you don't handle that situation, if you don't feel the feelings, you're going to have to feel them eventually. So what would happen in those situations is I would handle it. I would never cry. I would be extremely strong. And then three months from then, it would come crashing. Mm. Down. It would chapa you proper. Like, proper. Like Mm -hmm. to the extent where you're not able to do work, like you need to grieve, like you need to cry, you need to process on it. So I used to be like, wow, I handled that like a champ. 
And then I don't go, I don't really talk about how all of those situations made me feel, you know, the role of everyone in that situation. Like I wouldn't process it, but eventually because of that, like your brain needs to process it. It doesn't go away until you process it. So I would get into like a state of like proper, proper depression. And it would be, you know, it wasn't a TML depression. A T I, I'm, I'm, I'm not feeling myself. It was the proper depression for, you know, not eating and sleeping for like 27 hours straight you know like like there was so much of those situations because I was not able those feelings in a healthy way at the moment and so that was my the triangulation of my mental health it was ADHD leading to anxiety ADHD leading to depression and so when I started getting like professional help for it it was like very clear to them that you need to address the things that are like physically harming you which for me was the depression and the AD and the the, the depression and the anxiety to give yourself room to work on living and managing with your ADHD so yeah I had a stint with medication I have gone back to medication a couple of times and that's just real made me realize like yeah sometimes you need help sometimes you need a helping hand like expecting to go for therapy and suddenly develop the muscle to properly handle emotions that you've had since your childhood might not be feasible for everyone. So I'm always very pro mental health medication, but I tend to think of it as a holistic approach where you are consecutively like working on the medication, but you're also working on how you are responding to situations. You're using the therapy tools, but you're eating right. And you're, you know, you're genuinely like trying to do your best to practice to to incorporate healthy practices into your life the problem with the medication is if you lean into it only that and not put in the other proper structures for yourself to be able to do that without the medication that's where the dependency comes in and that's where when you stop the medication you kind of like go back to scratch because you've not been using the medication as a crutch to build the practices you need to to be able to function outside the medication so Mm. yeah yeah so and also um i think interesting findings around the fact that like i think um medication to manage manage adhd is a lot more popular like in the west and so you know getting more global exposure especially the time i spent at san francisco and the time i've been spending you know traveling you know across you know the continent and the world i've realized that like there's a lot more areas where um medication for adhd is popular so I used to be very inspired by, you know, like a lot of people I used to see on YouTube, a lot of people, you know, who are my age, you know, 23 and working at Google, like how did they get there? And now building proper relationships with them and finding out that, yeah, um, people medication to as a performance drug people who don't have adhd it's a very common practice especially in tech to lean on the on on adhd medication for performance so me i had already existed in a bubble where i thought you you just have to be super smart (laughs) and then yeah coming into the job field and realizing oh okay adderall is real and the people who Mm. are using Adderall to concentrate and to sleep less and to be able to achieve more. That taught me that I cannot hold the standard of my performance and the standard of who I am as a person um, in the light of someone else's performance. Like they, they can never compare because people are doing crazy things 
to be at the level where you think they are. And um, yeah, performance enhancement for tech people is like a real thing. So it really pushed me to building my own path. Like, you know, create your own path. People are doing crazy things. People are using their jobs as avoidance mechanisms um, to deal with their home lives and their mental health. So you don't even have like a proper you know, path to follow. So you have to make your own and cannot be borrowed from other people's paths because you never have 100% visibility of what that path actually is, right? So, yeah, so that's kind of been like the process with the ADHD. It's so much more manageable for me. Um, I realize because I have like a lot of friends also who do have ADHD, like diagnosed ADHD. Um, Of course, I have to add the diagnosed part because people um, tend to, lack of focus and regular lack of attentiveness and think oh that's such an adhd thing we have right (laughs) yeah Yeah. exactly and people wake up in the morning just slightly less energetic and i'm like oh my god i think i'm depressed i'm I'm always like oh my god if you if you knew (laughs) like really new and then you know yeah exactly Mm -hmm. and also like having friends who have like you know, actual diagnosed OCD and, you know, hearing how many times someone will be like, I'm so OCD about this and realizing, oh, shit, you don't know what OCD is. OCD for <laughs> someone is, they have to, you know, like I have a friend I know who has to like vacuum their room like seven times every night before they sleep. Otherwise, they think it's proper bad luck. So every time I'm where curious. I'm... Yeah, like it's a proper, it's, it's a proper mental health issue. It's a proper... Yeah health issue and like so every time someone is like oh I, as in i have to sanitize after i touch a doorknob i'm so ocd i'm like oh my god you like shut up <laughs> you're not <laughs> i'm like you're not right so for yeah. that adhd i realized like um for a bunch of people you know the way everyone says exercising more helps with mental health for some people um, exercising more can tend to even become like a mechanism of avoidance also. Like everything can become a mechanism of avoidance for people with ADHD. So um, realizing that everybody just has to find their own bespoke customized way of dealing with it and dealing with the aspects of their lives that are affected with the ADHD is also like a major learning. Like what what's going to work for me? Like for me, what works really well is upping my intake of, of, of like veg and proteins um probiotics have helped me a lot with like my gut health and the role of that um because you know there's like a connection between your gut your gut and your head so like managing my gut health has also helped me a lot with my mental health working out but i realized that like all like people can do those same exact things and it wouldn't help their symptoms so I've always kind of felt like um, sharing stories around how we've dealt with mental health needs to always have that asterisk up there around like, you know, this is how I'm dealing with it. But um, this can give you a point on, you know, whether something you haven't tried will work. But what works for me is definitely not going to work for everyone. Right. Yeah. And even Ali, I loved how you said it. Talked about comparison. Because I have a friend in an Ivy League mm. union. She told me about you know, how they use Adderall. And sometimes you think those were so yeah. smart, you know, but you don't know <laughs> you don't know the health guys have been through yeah. or what guys are using. And you're so inadequate, yeah. like, you know. But with that as well, talk to me a bit more about anxiety and how your partners, for example, have 
helped you through it because i know sometimes mm-hmm. being in a relationship um your partner needs to have a lot of grace so how has that mm-hmm. been in your experience and then as well you know with anxiety and for example depression do these things necessarily stem from unstable childhoods or because mm-hmm. a lot of times when people talk about the experiences probably uh, granted that a lot of them is from unstable childhoods or uh, you know home issues but is that necessarily the case or can we develop some of these at a latter stage like at like right now if i've moved out and i'm living alone am i still you know prone to developing some of these issues or uh, have i learned have i gotten enough skills to probably deal with those things when they you know come yeah. my way and with that as well please talk about fitness because you're really into fitness right now so yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, um I guess firstly, of course, uh like actually let me start with the one of the mental health issues. I think there's definitely a role but for me in my personal scenario there was a lot of like things I mentioned around you know how you expected to respond to things. Later now I realized that um you know, humans are animals of habit, right? So um if yeah. you're not from the beginning knowing that there is a distinction between reacting and responding you can spend a lot of your life reacting to things right so um you're conditioned to when this happens then you should react like this when in pain then you should cry but like maybe that's not the natural way you should be responding to things right so if you spend a lot of your life reacting 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 and not understanding that there is um an option to respond and internalize and choose how to react and choose to respond instead then i think that those habits those habits those reactions those continuous reactions actually make like create room for you to have those types of issues for example if you're to um you know like tight deadlines is anxiety then it can actually become a response or actually a reaction that just becomes ingrained in you and when you realize that it's not healthy then that's where it becomes difficult to unlearn right so i think there's a lot of mental health issues that are not mm. triggered by trauma that are just triggered by like conditioning and not really having the tools to deal with actual real life situations like imagine um because humans have been alive for so many years there are some constants that we know you have to experience with life you have to experience pain you have to experience grief you have to also experience joy and you also have to experience creativity and freedom there are a lot of human conditions that we have determined as a, like as a species are part of how we do and no human can ever be exempt to it right so there should be tools incorporated in our upbringing to allow us to handle some of those things but because we are so hyper fixated on getting survival tactics to survive in the world we don't spend enough time conditioning children to deal with these types of scenarios and so they get stuck in a reaction loop that builds a tolerance and a habit that's not very healthy and then that eventually leads to like mental health issues and i think that's a huge part everybody is looking in their past looking for the trauma that made them anxious or the trauma that made them depressed but oh. it could just have been you didn't have a you know proper tooling to deal with normal situations and now you deal with them in unhealthy ways and now you have to manage the mental health issues that come with that as i make i hope i'm making sense yeah mhm 
Yeah. yeah. What was the first question? Sorry. I, I your partner's house, your partner's, you know, been there for you yeah, or not yeah. been there for you. Yeah, that's crazy because I started dating, like the first proper relationship I had in my life was um, from third year uni and we were both coming of age, right? So I think that I don't have any expectations of how him as an individual would have been able to support my mental health issues. I was unaware of my mental health issues. At that time, mental health was everybody was 100% considering. So I never really look at that one. But like the relationships that I've had like in my 20s from like my mid 20s all the way now that I'm nearing my, you know, I'm nearing my 30s. It's been like, to at least have a partner who is aware that there are issues, right? So being in relationships where you are the person who is exposing your partner to the problems they might have is just hectic like you being an external party telling them hey you know have you realized that certain things trigger you that conversation baby will drain you you. so i think i spent a lot of time in my my previous relationships trying to sensitize the person i was with around hey okay this is not a very healthy response had done the work and I had had the tools to identify negative patterns and so um, taking that role of making someone aware of their own shortcomings their deficiencies I think for me has taught me to realize that um, I can only because of the my past because of the work I've done on myself I can only be in functional relationships with people with the same level of self-awareness right yeah. and that doesn't mean going for therapy that just means that you've taken a time and a section of your life to look at who you are now, what you love about yourself, what you don't love about yourself, you have to have a level of like self-awareness. And um, that means that like you are also able to like show up for that person better. So I've realized that like the, the relationship I'm in right now, I would say is probably like the most successful one simply because we it's, it's collaborative, right? Like he understands, like he came to the table with his shortcomings and a proper understanding of that and had actually started putting efforts to working towards being a better person. And I was in a similar stage. So we have like, we can really relate on a challenge level. And this for my current relationship is the only neurotypical person I've been with actually all my previous partners somehow seemed to mirror um mental health issues that I had that I didn't even uh-huh. right it's crazy like the law of attraction to some extent I don't know if it's hippie deepy stuff but like I can clearly now at my age see how a broken part of myself attracted that specific personality right yeah so look I'm always like, wow, that's trippy because I kind of got that person who would show me, like was mirroring to avoid dealing with myself, right? So whether it was issues with substances, I would always attract somebody with the extremist end of that substance issue. And I would be like, wow, okay, so this is where this can get, right? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think for me, support has also changed a lot like support for me is not be my therapist support for me is you know be the anchor that grounds me like allow me to you know like I don't have 100% control of how my brain will function and spiral because of my mental health issues but I support for me means 
remind me of who I truly am. Remind me that this is a season, like this is a session. It's like an episode I'm having, but this is who you truly are, right? And mm-hmm. um, that kind of like be, having that in a relationship has allowed me to also start having those kinds of conversations with my parents. And so even the way my parents and my family support me is super different. It's not that they will, you know, remind me of who I am, like the way I would expect my partner to when I'm in an episode. For my parents, it's more of like, hey, um, remember that like there is an army of people behind you and doing it on your own. And so having more exposure into what a functional relationship could has had a very good, you know, trickling effect on how um, my relationship with my parents have been. And, and I'm also always looking at relationships as, you know, phases and also realizing that the partner you're going to be with right, is going to be a whole different person in five years. That is the proper way to think about it, actually. Like, I'm not going to expect you to be the same person you are right now in five years. Because if you are, that means you're not growing. So I'm very excited to see who you'll be in five years, right? But I need to also be so part of your evolution is something that I'm not shocked by. I'm not going to bury myself into my life and then look up after five years and be like, wow, you changed, you know. Yeah. That happens a lot, especially when you have mental health issues. I, with my ADHD, I pick up hobbies like like every day. Like, like really? I think I invested. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I, I started like knitting at some point and I was knitting sweaters and everything. And then one day I just stopped. And so now I have like so many yarns in my in my cupboard and it could be a new so it's like what like even when you were mentioning about fitness I was like I'm glad you said you're really into fitness right now because yeah I don't know I might not be into it in like three months I don't know it's making me feel good right now but I could be into something completely different and so also you know, extending that grace to myself that like, yeah, I can, I will change, I will evolve, I will be shaped by my experiences and the circumstances I am around and having a partner who can extend that grace and doesn't expect me to stay the same is also something that I've kind of like started to value extremely, extremely more now at this stage of life compared to at my early 20s and the relationships I had earlier. Mm -hmm.